Good morning. How we doing? Hey, everybody full of potatoes? You tired yet? Not yet. We got a full day ahead of us. Hey, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1 is where we're going to be starting today. We're going a couple, uh, a couple verses in. If you need a Bible uh, and you'd like to have one, I think my friends in the back are going to pass those out. So if you'd like one, go ahead and raise your hand. If you have one with you, again, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, if you don't know where that is, uh, it's right after 1. So if you just go to where we were last night, you flip one over, uh, we'll be in Ecclesiastes 2. And while you find your way there, uh, anybody football fans in here? Anybody football fans in here? Perfect. We'll talk later. Uh, so you'll you'll connect with this. To win a single Super Bowl is the dream of many, uh, only to be realized by a a few. Uh, If this is your dream, it will consume your entire life uh, from very early on. It will dictate many things, such as your diet, your training program, your schooling, where you live, your friend group, uh, and even more than that. Uh, If one is lucky enough, you may reach the level of the impossible task of simply just making it onto an NFL roster, and yet even still, there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of players that are the most gifted, the most talented, the strongest, and the most capable in the world that will play this game and yet never secure the ultimate victory. Some would argue that this task is unrealistic and unreachable. Tom Brady, the GOAT quarterback of all time, the most accomplished of all time, was asked in an interview years ago at the time when he had only won three of his Super Bowls. He had a sit-down interview. You could actually watch it on YouTube. And, uh, and this is what he said in that interview. He says, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still feel like there is something greater out there for me? A lot of people would say, hey, you've reached your goal. Your your, your dream, you've arrived, but man, there's got to be more than this. This can't be all that it's cracked up to be. I've done it. What else is there for me? And the interviewer responds with, okay, well, well, Tom, what's the answer? To which he then responded, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Tom would go on to win four more Super Bowls, one in Tampa and three with New England, and yet in the process, he would lose time with his family and lose his marriage. And I can guarantee you that if he was asked today, hey, were those four additional Super Bowl victories the answer to the challenging question that we've been considering starting yesterday, does this all matter? I believe with all of my heart, I'm convicted that he would say no and follow that up with, I still wish I knew. In some ways, Solomon struggled with the same dilemma. In today's passage, Solomon's going to share from his own journey of how he also struggled to answer life's most puzzling question that we began to unpack yesterday. Again, does this all matter? Uh, Is there really meaning and purpose to our existence? And if so, where can it be found? This morning, we're going to see that he takes a different approach than yesterday. Yesterday, he was searching in things like work and in wisdom and in being remembered. You can almost say like the sophisticated side of life. And instead, today, he's going to take a laid back approach and he pursues things like alcohol and laughter and all sorts of leisure, hoping that this will answer the question. And before we jump in, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. 
Father, we love you. Lord, thank you so much that you are a good, kind, loving God that desires to meet with your people. God, even now you are here with us and you wanna open our hearts to understand your word. God, I pray that that would be so and true today. Lord, would the, would the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight? And would that be true of all of us in this room? God, would you help us to understand these challenging truths in a way that really change and impact our lives? In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said... Amen. Amen. Go ahead and look with me at verse one of chapter two, and we'll start here. Solomon says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. And then he says, enjoy yourself. We'll stop there. He says, enjoy yourself. And so again, Solomon, he transitions from this pursuit of wisdom to a more lighthearted approach to life. He's, he's saying like, man, why should I stress about things like working hard, like being remembered, finding wisdom? Like maybe you're like Solomon, where he probably would have been sitting in this room thinking, man, that guy on stage is yelling a lot last night. And man, why can't he just chill out? You know what I mean? Like if you ever met people like that before, where you're just like, you're just too uptight, calm down. Like maybe meaning and purpose can be found in just breathing deep, savoring life. Just believe that ignorance is bliss and laugh loud. It's just enjoy life. And in verse one, he says, enjoy yourself. And so he does. And this was his conclusion. Look with me at the end of verse one. He says, but behold, this also was vanity, was hebel, was a striving after the wind. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? And so he continue, continues his search for meaning with laughter, and we're gonna sp spend a, a considerable amount of time on this portion this morning, because not only do I think that it kind of sets the tone for the entire chapter that we'll be looking at this morning, but I find, and I have found in my many years of ministry, that this is typically where most people find themselves. This is typically where most people find themselves. The idea that he's getting at here is that of a, a carefree life where the goal of life is to just be happy. Like, I, I just want to be happy. Hey, if death is coming soon and coming quickly, and it's sure. Have you heard this before? Like, there's only two things in life that are guaranteed, taxes and death. And he's saying, like, hey, if this is true, then let's just kick back. Let's get the boys together, like, like let's hop on your favorite battle royale, put down some talkies and try and get a dub. You know what I mean? Like enjoy the life that we can while we have it. Let's get the dog, let's get the, the white picket fence, let's get the house, let's travel to that place and let's just live our dream. I just wanna laugh loud. I just wanna be happy. All these challenging questions that we've been considering about work and, and life beyond and whether or not it exists, like I will deal with those things later. I just want to back pocket that. Anybody been there before? Because I have like maybe at a season in my life and a time when I am more positioned to, to more accurately and faithfully solve these questions or think about these things. Like I will just back pocket that till later. Let's just laugh it off and forget about it. Friends, the, the interesting thing about this is that later never comes. This is what we do. We avoid this is our nature. We, we, we try to enjoy what we can while we can when we can. And somehow, like, again, maybe that'll soothe the pain and bring peace and some kind of clarity. But I would ask you a similar question as I did last night. How is that working out for you? Living with ignorance, avoiding the challenging questions of life that stir your soul and make you uncomfortable. There's a story of a man... Uh, 
very, very troubled in his soul. He goes and he sees the therapist and he sits down and uh, the therapist looks at him and he grabs his pen and his journal and the man sits down and the, the therapist says, hey, how, how are you doing? What brought you in today? And the man sits in the couch and he's slumped over and he's kind of disappointed. He says, I, I just don't know. Like there, there are things that are wrong in my life and I can't, I can't really, but there doesn't really seem like there's anything wrong in my life at the same time. I just can't really put my, my finger on what's going on in me. And the, the therapist says, don't worry, I got you. We're gonna cover the three big categories or areas of life that will ensure that you like ha- get satisfaction to some degree. And he says, okay, great. That's amazing. What are those? And he says, they're the, the big three F's. You got family, you got faith, and you got fitness. If you, can, if you can handle all three of those things, you can get those in order. I promise your life's going to have significance and meaning. And so he gives the guy some advice. He sends him on his way. And then a year later, the guy comes back. And he says, hey, how you doing? How, how are those big three Fs that, that I asked you to work on? And the guy says, well, in terms of my family, I wasn't really dating someone at the time, but I got a girlfriend now. You know what I mean? Like, like we, I, I connected with someone online and now we're seeing each other here and there. And in terms of my fitness, like I lost a little bit of those COVID calories. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about? He's like, I, I lost some, posted a progress picture on Instagram, got some likes, I'm feeling good. And at the same time, my finances, I invested in some company. I'm feeling really happy about it. And the therapist says, oh, well, that, that's amazing. Like you must be doing incredible now. And the guy says, well, actually, no, the reason why I'm back here so soon is because it didn't help at all. And the guy says, okay, well, you know what? Give you some more advice, send you out. And years go by, two, three, four years go by. The guy doesn't come back. The therapist is sitting in his chair every day and he's just happy. He's like, man, the guy, I fixed the problem. The guy doesn't have the issue of that, that, that meaningless, purposeless feeling anymore. And then one day, about four or five years later, get a knock on the door. This is the guy. At this point, hardly recognizable, walks through the door and the therapist gives him a hug. He's how you doing, man? You look great. The guy sits down on the couch and the therapist grabs his pen and his journal. And he says, well, tell me about your life. How happy are you? And the guy says, well, you know, my family, I'm actually married now. I got, I got two kids and, 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 you know, that's amazing in terms of my fitness. Like I got, I got a chiseled physique. I'm the kind of guy that just takes his shirt off at winter camp for no, no reason at all. Like I just want to show it off. You know what I mean? And he's like, in terms of my finances, like I invested in this thing called crypto and I'm super wealthy now and I got everything going for me. And the therapist is so happy. He's like, I fixed this guy's issue. And the guy sits in his chair again, kind of slumps back a little further, and he says, no, you don't understand. The reason why I'm here is because I've been doing this for so long and nothing has changed. The therapist is a little confused, and he says, you know, okay, well, I'll think if I can find something else. And after a couple minutes, he, he gets it. Like, he, he figures it out. He's like, I found I figured it out. I know what your issue is. You just need to chill. You said that to somebody before, like, you just need to chill, bro. You just need to just calm down. Hey, you know what, actually, there is a show that is being put on across the street. I go see it every so often. There's this clown. He's amazing. He makes everybody laugh. And just being in the room, like being around people that are happy, is just contagious. Have you seen those, those signs on Facebook before that maybe you're like your faithful grandma puts up on social media that says something like, like laughter is like medicine for the soul. You know what I mean? So he's like, laughter is like medicine for the soul. Just go in the room, be around people that are happy. It'll rub off on you. He's super excited about the answer that he gave him and the guy slumps back in his chair even further than he had from the beginning and he starts to weep. The therapist asks him, what's the problem? The guy says, you don't understand. I am that clown. No, not even a life masked with superficial happiness will contain life's purpose and meaning. Even in that, it won't be found. 
Even in that, it won't be found because the suffering is still present because the answer has not, or the question has not been answered. Verse three, he moves on and he continues here. He says, I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guided me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. And so Solomon, he, then tur he turns to alcohol in an attempt to both uh, numb himself and simultaneously see if it will fill the void of his longing heart. Do you kind of see the spiral that he's going on? Right, like again, it's, it's, it's being remembered, it's wisdom, it's hard work, and then it's like, hey, well, let me just chill, that's not working, let me go to substance abuse. And so he goes here, he turns to alcohol, and scripture says that he even guided, uh, his heart still guided him with wisdom, meaning that he never got to the point where he lost his mind to substance abuse. Now, I don't know if you know anybody like this in your life, and I'm praying that you don't, uh, but my brother, growing up, I was sharing a little bit uh, about my life, uh, couldn't say much, but uh, I, I grew up really challenging. Like I said, homeless, motel, really bad neighborhood, and me and my sister, thank God, uh, got out of that situation, uh, I believe, for the better, but my brother, my older brother, uh, was not the type of person that followed that same path. Uh, when he was 12 years old, about the age that you'd be sitting in this room, uh, he decided that he was gonna go ahead and indulge so to speak, with uh, the use of drugs and, and marijuana, and he joined a gang, and because he thought it was cool to be, like just to kind of surround himself with people that made him feel like family. And in doing so, at the time, again, he thought it was a cool thing to do, and he was just kind of dabbling in stuff that he knew wasn't right at the time, but hey, life is long to him, and so I can kind of get out of this later if, you know, I, I decide to. And then years go by, and years go by, and years go by, and he didn't realize that these things, these, these alcoholic substance, drug, they just like latched themselves to him. And so now, if you'd ask me today, hey, where is he? I tell you that he's been through rehab like three or four times and currently he is living on the street in my hometown as a diagnosed schizophrenic because of the amount of drugs that he's put in his system. And the last time I saw him, he looked me dead in the face and had no idea who he was or who I was. Solomon is saying that he got to close to that line, but he didn't cross it. So that way he could still come back and share with you, thank God, that it is even in this kind of life. He has a credible reference to say that there is no healing, there is no peace, there is no satisfaction in that. Friends, I, I know enough about youth ministry and I know about, enough about this group of people to know that there are quite a few people in this room that are considering it. And I'm here to tell you, maybe this is the word that you go home with uh, this weekend. There's no life there. If you love the Lord, if you love your family, if you love your mom, if you love yourself, there's no life there. Have you, have you heard people say often like wisdom is, is, is learning from other people's mistakes. I'm so thankful for the Bible and specifically so thankful for Solomon because he says, hey, I tried it. It doesn't work. Let's move on to verse four to six. Solomon continues and he says, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forests of growing trees. And so in these three verses, Solomon, he prides himself in doing things that are great, right? He builds houses, he plants vineyards and gardens and parks and fruit trees and pools to fill it all with water and 
It's interesting, if you study the original language here, the Hebrew word for water and growing in verse six are also found in early portions in the book of Genesis where we hear about the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve and how God was walking in the cool of the day, the Bible says, with Adam in perfection and unity in relationship with them. And one of the commentators that I was studying suggested that the imagery that Solomon is trying to get at here is, is to bring up our remembrance of that Garden of Eden place and says that, that Solomon was attempting to create spaces as close to perfection as possible to achieve this level of wholeness and yet it continuously evaded him. He was trying it all. Look with me at verse seven. He continues, I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house, which just means that he was extremely wealthy at the time to have that meant you had money. He said, I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women and many concubines, the delight of the sons of men. And so Solomon realizes that often in life we work so hard that we rarely enjoy what we've been working for. Anybody been there before? We work so hard that we rarely enjoy the things that we're working for. And so in order to avoid this, he hires slaves to manage his garden so he could rest and simply enjoy the fruit of their labor, no pun intended. And like we've already been learning, he gathered wealth and women in an effort to rid himself of worry. He accomplished great things. And in the next three verses, Solomon will give us a summary of all of chapter two and now boast of how he became great. And so look with me now, verse nine through 11, and these are gonna be the last verses that we consider. Verse nine through 11, he says, so I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. Now this is interesting, watch, he says, for my heart found pleasure in all of my toil, and this was my reward for all of my toil. He said, I found pleasure in it, but then look at verse seven, but then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity. At the end of the day, hey, even though I enjoyed it for a moment, at the end of the day, it just kind of, kind of faded away. It didn't last as long again as I thought that it would. All was vanity, a striving after the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Again, this mentality where there's nothing beyond and all that there is is all that we can see, feel, touch, smell, and taste. Nothing to be gained under the sun. Solomon, he, had, he held power and he enjoyed prosperity more than anyone in human history ever would. And he, and he found that enjoying things both in moderation and then giving himself away fully to these things didn't meet the needs of his soul. And so in a room this size, again, I'm convinced that many of you are experiencing something similar. Like maybe you're like me, where back in the day, I would, I would lay on my bed at night and I would kind of distract myself on Instagram and TikTok with videos that would somehow try and make me laugh or forget the issues that I have. And then like when my eyes get tired enough to where they actually close and I lay my head on my pillow, like, and, and I got all those questions like still running through my mind because it didn't help anything. I'm thinking this, hey, what's wrong with me? Like, why don't I feel okay? There's gotta be more to life than this. Matthew Perry, a famous comedian, most known for his role on the show Friends, uh, where he played Chandler Bing. Any Friends fans in here? Anybody seen the series? Yeah, uh, he passed away recently. 
Um, And after weeks of investigation, the police finally uh, concluded that he drowned in a hot tub. And the autopsy report showed that this was because he fell unconscious due to an excessive amount of this drug called ketamine in his system that he was taking to treat his longtime drug addiction. My question, why was he addicted to drugs? Like, think about it. Matthew Perry, one of the most well-recognized, well-known comedians of all time, like the guy that would appear in your living room on the TV to make you laugh and make a bad day better. Like this guy, he, he wouldn't be able to go to Starbucks in a city because he'd be recognized and celebrated. He, he'd be stopped at every corner. Can I get a selfie? Can I get your name? Can I get your signature? Can I talk to you? He was probably surrounded by people that supported him and loved him and were proud of him. He probably had more money than you will ever have. And, and for whatever reason, He felt the need that this was too much. This was overwhelming. I need to get away from this kind of lifestyle. And so how am I gonna do that? I'm gonna try and clear it all out with drugs. Why is it that he had a drug addiction? He had the good life. By every standard that we measure it, for what you're working towards, for many of you in this room, he did it. And he wanted to get away from it. George Clooney, a longtime friend of Matthew Perry's, was asked about Matthew's success and said this of him after he had passed. He wasn't happy. In many ways, Matthew suffered like Solomon, in the end, both realizing that approaching life with this easygoing attitude, just kind of like indulging in all sorts of pleasure, just trying to do good, make people happy, and hope that you will be too, still comes with an immense amount of suffering because the soul won't be satisfied. It is there that meaning and purpose cannot be found. But why? Right, because at this point, it's kind of just like kicking a dead horse. Like, like we've, we've got the point, right? Like, like purpose and meaning cannot be found in these things. But why? Like, like why is it that when people go to great lengths to enjoy the way that society, life, the way that society says will kind of quench the thirst of their soul, It seems like every day we turn on the news and we only see them miserable, depressed, oftentimes dependent on drugs and with no hope. Why is it that work, accomplishments, possessions, relationships, legacy, wisdom, happiness, all forms of pleasure, they fail to bring lasting meaning and purpose? Write this down if you're taking notes. It's because of sin. Because of sin. What is sin? Oftentimes we'll hear this from a stage at a church or we'll have conversations where we'll hear it in a movie and we're like, yeah, it's bad, it's sin, it's not good. What is sin? Sin has corrupted our ability to enjoy life and the good things of life to their fullest potential. Sin is anything that falls short of or doesn't measure up to the perfection of God. What is sin? It is unbelief, it is disobedience, it is evil thoughts, it is evil motives and evil actions and so much more. But what does it do? We know what it is, but what does it do? Like, what is it responsible for? Like, oftentimes, again, we'll sit there and have this, like, low view of sin. Like, maybe it's just the thing that God doesn't like. What does sin do? Sin is responsible for everything evil and wicked in the world that you hate. Divorce, sickness, rape, war, injustice, murder, natural disasters, the reason why you feel shame and guilt, the reason why there are people that are harboring unforgiveness towards you. Maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a teacher, maybe it's yourself harboring that towards someone else. It's the reason why you feel lonely at night. It's the reason why you can't seem to feel like you have a place to exist in the world. 
It's the, it's the reason why you have this meaningless, purposeless experience and you're just like, I don't feel okay. And even more so than all of those things, it's the reason why people die. It's not just what we do though, because that would be an easy solution. Hey, just, just do better. Just act right, behave. It's not just what we do, it, it lives in us. It's corrupted us from the inside out. Our hearts and our desires, Mark chapter seven, verse 20 through 23. I don't think it's on the screen, but you can write it down and look it up later. Mark chapter seven, verse 20 through 23. Jesus is speaking and he says this, what comes out of a person and what is what defiles him. For it is written, that from within, out of a person's heart, the evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. And then he finishes here. All these evils come from inside. It's interesting, the book of Romans actually sums it up quite nicely. Romans chapter three, verse 23, write it down if you'd like. Romans chapter three, verse 23, puts it this way. For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Some of your translations will say, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. What does that mean? Uh, the author is trying to paint a picture of, a, of an archer that's been given an arrow and said, hey, like look at the bullseye over there and I want you to hit the mark. Do the best that you can, try the hardest you can, just, just try, right? And so the archer will pick up the arrow and the bow and no matter how hard he tries, no matter how many arrows he shoots, no matter how much he upgrades his instrument, he never gets close. He falls short of hitting the mark. What is this standard that Romans 23, Romans 3, 23 talks about? What's this standard? Well, thankfully for us, Jesus has asked a similar question and he answers it. In the gospels, there's a, a lawyer, an expert of the law. He knows all of the commands that were given in the Old Testament to the people of Israel and said, hey, this is how God wants you to live. And the, the lawyer goes up to Jesus and he says, hey, like, what is the greatest? What's the most simple? Could you sum, like, what is that? What's the, what's the heaviest commandment? And Jesus looks at me, he says, easy, and many of you will know this. He says, well, just love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as who? Yourself. And so if we just pause here for a moment and think, okay, well then this is the reason why we've been created. The book of Genesis says that we are created in God's image, in his image and likeness, to be image bearers first and foremost in relationship with God, and then out of that relationship, in relationship with each other. And so we are supposed to perfectly love God and submit to God and obey God in every moment of every day for your entire life because that's the way that we were created. And then at the same time, we're supposed to love each other sacrificially in love. Now here's the question that I have for you and I want you to think, I really want you to think about this. How often, my friends, have you harbored hate in your heart towards God? How often, how often have, have you felt like God has led you in a certain direction, whether that be to say something to someone or to go somewhere that you should have or to not do that thing that you did anyway? How often, how often have you just felt indifferent? Y'all, I just, I just don't feel like going to church today. I get it, it's a command, God wants me to do that, but it's like not on my calendar, it's raining outside. How, how often have you, have you set up idols in your life and said, hey, I'm gonna take something, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, and I'm gonna elevate it to a position over my life and give it an authority to tell me how I ought to live. Whether that be a football team, a family member, a relationship, a money, a goal, or a dream. And we say, I'm gonna follow that because that's the thing that'll give my life meaning and purpose and God can have my life later. 
How often have you sat next to someone created in God's image and failed to forgive them? How often have you planted evil thoughts in your hearts thinking this is what I hope happens to them because of what they did to me? How often have you had the, the, the means to meet someone's need and yet in your selfishness refused to do it? See, the thing is, we don't have to go through all 613 laws in the Old Testament or even glance at the, at the Ten Commandments. Jesus says, these are the two most important. And if you're honest, you'll look at that and say, wow, if there's a grade lower than F, that's where I've scored. It's interesting, at this point in time, I'll have people typically say, well, okay, well, what if I just don't believe that there's a standard? Like, hey, I just... I just don't believe it at all. This is, this is what I always do. I'll just say, don't, don't say it out loud, just think. What are you guilty of? My friends, the reason why I'm so confident that you thought of something is because the Bible says that God has written the law in your hearts. Hear me, if there was no standard, you wouldn't feel guilty. You don't need a, a pastor at a church camp to tell you that you failed for you to know that you have. Okay, well, okay, there's a standard, but I still think that I'm like a semi-decent person. Like, yeah, maybe I didn't, like maybe I haven't loved God perfectly and I haven't loved my neighbor, but I've done some other good things in life. Like maybe that'll help to some extent. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like you failing every grade at your school. You failed chemistry and algebra and math and English, every, P, even PE, you didn't dress out. You know what I mean? Like you failed everything and then, and then you go home and you tell your parents, hey, it's actually fine because I got an A at lunch. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Think about it, how many times have you said to yourself, I won't do that, I won't say that, I won't be there, I won't look at that at my phone, knowing that it's bad for me, and yet you do again and again and again and again. It's the standard. Well, JD, I mean, I heard that God is a good God and he just kind of forgets everything and so I'll be fine, right? Like, I don't need to worry about this now. Isn't that what the Bible says? Let me tell you what the Bible says. Romans chapter six, verse 23, write it down. Romans 6, 23 says this, for the wages or the penalty or the punishment for sin, what you now owe because of that lifestyle that you've lived is death. Well, everybody dies. The death that this is speaking of is that of eternal separation from God in this place called hell. What is hell? Let's talk about it. Be a little bit uncomfortable in here. We already have been. What is hell? Hell is everlasting punishment of the sinner and everything evil, away from God's presence through destruction by fire. I'll say it again. Hell is every, everlasting punishment of the sinner and everything evil, away from God's presence through destruction by fire. I went to Israel a couple years ago, and um, I got to do all of the incredible things that people that usually go to Israel do. Like I got to go get on a boat and go through the Sea of Galilee where Jesus would have walked on water. I got to stand in the plains where David would have fought Goliath and just kind of look out over the valley. Uh, I got to go into Jerusalem uh, on the Temple Mount, and I actually got to go inside of the church called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, where it's believed that Jesus' body would have been laid in a tomb. I got to touch the rock. 
uh, of Golgotha where Jesus would have been crucified, like with my own hand. And I'm praying that once everything kind of settles down in the Middle East, uh, you get a chance to do that at some point in your life. It's incredible. But my favorite moment by far, it's not close, my favorite moment on that trip I was in a tour bus with a bunch of other pastors across America. We were going through this valley. It was like this windy road. And we were coming up out of this valley and the tour guide gets up and he gets on the intercom and he says, uh, if you look to your left, you'll see a, a valley. He says it is called, or it was called the, uh, the Valley of the Sun, the Valley of the Son of Hinnom, which had been translated later to Hinnom's Valley, which is where we get the word Gehenna, which is where we translate the word hell. And he says it was in this space in biblical times where people would treat it like, like a trash can. It was like the town dump. And so he said they would take their trash and their feces and anything that they really didn't want to have anymore and they'd throw it inside of this valley. And it would just accumulate over time and it would smell and it would reek. It would be disgusting. Like you wouldn't want to go hang out there. And he says that once it got full enough, they would take some fire and they'd throw it in there and then the whole thing would just be engulfed. You'd have bugs and insects and it would just be the most putrid place that you could possibly think of. You could see the flames and the fire go up for miles around. And it's not just disgusting, it was evil. In biblical times, people that were just confused and, and under the, the, the blindness of Satan would take their babies and they would throw them in the fire as a sacrifice to their God. Look it up in the book of Isaiah. Just, just throwing them in there as like appeasement to them, thinking that would somehow bring their life meaning and purpose. And so Jesus says, what is hell? It's like that. It's where the worm never dies. It's where you have weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is where God will punish everything evil and it will kill it. Why? Because it's where it deserves to be. Y'all, I don't know about you, but I, I feel sin. Like when I sin, it's like it's on me and it's gross. Like I don't know about, are you tired of it? I want it to be off me. And God says one day, although, although you still struggle with it, one day I'm gonna take it off you like fully and forever and, and I'm gonna kill it. You won't have to deal with sin anymore. And it's gonna be in this space again where it belongs. That is hell. I'll say it again, it is everlasting punishment of the sinner and everything evil away from God's presence through destruction by fire. JD, what does it say that in the Bible? Glad you asked. Second Thessalonians chapter one, verse eight through nine. Write it down, look it up later. Second Thessalonians chapter one, verse eight through nine. Scripture says this, if you're reading from the NIV, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. The ESV says that he will do this with flaming fire. And so what is hell? It is everlasting punishment of the sinner and everything evil away from God's presence through destruction by fire. This will be the home for those that do not know God, who have not been freed and forgiven of their sin, and therefore do not obey his gospel. Tonight, we're gonna learn about this gospel. And we're gonna hear some really good no news for those that are, that are tired of a meaningless life and they sense the weight of their sin and they're desperate for a savior. But I am under the strong conviction that you will never truly understand the weight of the gospel until you first wrestle with what I've just shared with you the power of sin and the presence of sin in your own life. God can do something about it. He can free you from it. Let's pray.
Father, we love you. God, and we are thankful that, again, in a room this size, I am certain that there are individuals in here that have been running from you, that have sensed the weight of their sin on their life and and are eager to have it lifted off of their shoulders. I pray that as we go through our day, as it's filled with fun and excitement and community, would you stir in us the eagerness to hope, to, to, to find the answer, knowing that tonight we'll hear the glorious good news of how we can be freed from sin's power and presence. We love you so much, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen.